Psalm 40. I'm going to read to you from verses 1 through 5. Here we go. Would you mind standing up as we read from the Word together? If you've got a new King James, I'll invite you to read out loud with me. On the count of three again. Not woo, but read, okay? (laughs) One, two, go. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Father, as we dig into your word tonight, we want to approach your word always with an open heart and allow you to speak to us, Lord, in ways that will change us and make us more usable in your hands to reach this land in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. Well, you know this is true, that life happens in seasons, doesn't it? Winter, spring, summer, and and autumn. The crops, you farmers. How many old farmers here? Let me see. How many old farmers or young farmers you've been around farms? You know it happens in seasons. You plant, and then it grows, and then you cultivate, and maybe you weed, and then along the way, you harvest. It happens in seasons. Physically, we all go through seasons. Your first season was prenatal. I have my fourth grandchild in the prenatal season right now. Some of you remember Bethany. Bethany is about to have her very, very first. And um, so you go through the, the, the prenatal season, then the infancy, and then the adolescence, and then the teen season that seems to last forever to the parents, not to the teens. The teen season, and then the adults. And along with that is the seasons of family life. And all of us are at one phase or another in the family life right now. Either you're newlywed or the babies have come along or maybe you're in the crowd, this this family right here, in the crowded house season of life right now. And then along the way comes what my family is in. Joy and I are in the empty nest season. And I, I love my wife, but I hate that empty nest. I didn't want them to move away. I hear people talk all the time about getting rid of the kids and can't wait till they're gone. What's wrong with you? Man, I love having the kids around. Starlin's back from her first year in college right now. And I love having her back in the house. But we go through all those seasons. Our four babies now, though three of them anyway, Shannon read this earlier. She said, make sure you tell them Starlin's not having babies yet. She's not married. But three of our four babies are having their own babies now. And it's so fun to watch them go through the same stuff they put me through. Shannon was talking the other day. Now, this will sound very familiar to you that have young ones. She was talking to me about how with her her littlest one, Mia. Mia is three and a half. And she had this episode with Mia. Now, Mia, look at me when I'm talking. Look at me when I'm talking. Mia, look at me when I'm talking to you. No, no, look me right in the eyes when I'm talking to you. Now, Mia, now, Mia, look at me. Look at me. How many have you? Does that sound familiar to anybody? (laughs) 
And I just sat there laughing to myself because I didn't want to do that in Shannon's face while she's talking about the struggle with her little one learning to, to grow up and become the person. But it's so awesome to watch and so fun to watch my little grandchildren becoming disciples of Jesus in their own household. Well, families go through changes. All of us go through changes. Churches go through seasons as well. Churches and individual believers go through seasons. Churches go through seasons of, of hard work. Hopefully where everybody is engaged and they're finding their place and they're using their gift to further the work of God, to get the work done in a particular city. And, and there's seasons of great celebration as you see the fruit of your labor. And you look around and you see a church growing and people coming to Christ and families being healed and somebody walking as a disciple. You go through seasons of spiritual battle. As a congregation, as you press against what Jesus called the gates of hell. Do you know why there's spiritual battle when you do that? Because those gates are, are fiercely contended for. Because they're jealously guarded. Why? Because Satan doesn't want to let go of one single soul that he holds captive without a fight. And he will not let go without a fight. But if you persist, there will also be seasons of victory as you see those gates of hell fall. And there's seasons of rest and refocusing and preparing yourself for the next advance. It's something I love about Calvary Chapel of Albuquerque. There's always something on the horizon. There's always, so to speak, a fishing boat going out to fish for more souls. As you're celebrating a great victory yesterday, something that an outreach that took place here on the parking lot, trust me, the wheels are turning for the next big event and outreach that all is just focused on another advance into the darkness to bring people to Jesus. And then there's more seasons of growth and managing that growth in a healthy church. But there are some seasons that come upon you that you didn't ask for, aren't there? There are seasons you plan for and there are seasons you just don't see coming. They're unplanned. They're crisis. And I guess a crisis by definition is something that you don't plan on or it wouldn't really be a crisis. Now, there is a word for a planned crisis. That's called a family vacation. You can plan all you want, but somewhere along the line, there's going to be a crisis. But a crisis is something that comes on us unexpectedly. You move into crisis mode, as you have as a congregation. Lots of things go on hold. You drop what you were doing, and you tend to the crisis. I remember watching by Internet back in February as Skip and a band of men who love this congregation circled the camp and came and stood before you. And I, I heard the wise words from your pastor. I just, I remember how Skip got up here and he said, you're going to be okay. How many of you remember that? Man, I thought, I was, I was racking my brain. How would I respond to this crisis? What would I say is the first words out of my mouth. And he said, you're going to be Okay, and there's a reason for that, and we'll get to that in a second. But you drop what you're doing in a crisis, and you tend to that crisis. And that crisis of your life, that enters the journal of your life. It's, it's, it's in the picture now, and, and it's there. My brother-in-law, Chet, who married my, my sister Mary Jo, two weeks ago on Sunday morning, three minutes before the eight, uh, is it eight, eight or ten? 8.30 service started. About three minutes before we're ready to come out and start our first service on Sunday morning, I get the phone handed to me. And I'm thinking, Bob, what are you handing me the phone three minutes before the service? He says, it's about your brother-in-law, Chet. He's just had a massive heart attack. 
Everything else seemed unimportant for the moment. So we, we made a, a few calls and, and we tended to what we could there. We went through the services and we ran to his side. Do you know that Chet's life now, thank God, God was merciful and, and he was spared and he's back home and he was excited about being in church tomorrow morning with our folks at Refuge. But do you know Chet's life is going to be marked and divided by pre and post heart attack? There's no way it couldn't be. It was a huge event in his life. A crisis is a defining moment for you. And, and, and for you here at Calvary Chapel, Albuquerque, it's been a defining season. You have been through a notable season as a church. And I can't speak for every other church in the land, but I can tell you that from February uh, 19 until today, our congregation, Refuge, has been in prayer for Calvary Chapel of Albuquerque. From the very beginning... And many people have come up to me over those months and asked me, how's it going out there? What's the news? You're loved and appreciated. We've benefited so much from the ministry that comes from this church. What else could we do? We've been praying for you. The Albuquerque Journal has been busy too, I understand. And, uh, but, but maybe appropriately, this season needs to be remembered. It needs to be recorded, and the Journal and the Tribune will help with that for sure. But you won't soon forget this season. And I want to suggest something to you. In fact, I think you need to remember this season on purpose. I think you need to write your own Albuquerque journal. Write your own journal of what God has taught you in these last months. What has he said to you? How are you a stronger believer because of the season that you've gone through as a community? How are you more focused than ever? And I'm going to encourage, I didn't, I didn't you know, pass this by, uh, or get this checked by, by Chip, but I'm going to encourage you to write that out and get that to your leadership. Would you let them know what God has spoken to you and how God has encouraged your heart, what you've learned about faith, what you've learned about God, what you've learned about community, about being a, a tribe of God's people right here, how you've become a stronger and more focused follower of Jesus than you were before the crisis hit. All those months ago. Record what you've learned in this season. And see, that's what I love about David. Here in Psalm 40 and all through the Psalms, that's what I love about this brother that I cannot wait to meet in heaven. David recorded his thoughts and his observations and the seasons of his life in song. And we sing them all the time. We sing from Psalm 23. We sing from, from, from this song. Psalm 40, about the new song and the new season. Thank God that David did that. He recorded his life for us musically. Now, I hope when we get to heaven, we get to hear Psalm 30 the way it was written. And Psalm 40, the way it was written, I can't, I don't know if it's better than how we do it now, but I can't wait to hear how David actually sang that song on the harp and how the, the flutes came in. Music is something all of us are moved by. It, it captivates us. In fact, in our generation, we all carry around our own little personal soundtracks with us, don't we? Everybody's got their iPod in, and everybody's car is bouncing down the road when you hit the, the, you know, the, the, the stop sign there or the, or the red light, and they just want to let you know they're grooving to their tunes. You know, Everybody's got their little soundtrack. In fact, USA Today, this, uh, this last year, um, conducted a survey about what are the most popular items on a college campus. Books was not at the top of the list. And classes were not one of the most popular things. 
The top five included text messaging, Facebook, drinking beer, drinking other alcohol, and iPods. iPods were the number one most popular thing on college campuses. And they are not just on college campuses. We're all in to our music. We love our tunes, all of you. How many of you have a favorite song? Okay, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a warning here. I'm going to ask you a, song, a question about you and your wife. How many of you know your wife has a very, very favorite song? Guys, your hand should be way up in the air right now. How many of you know your wife's favorite song? Oh, we're in deep trouble now. Come back into a marriage conference sometime soon. Oh, I, you know, I look back to the songs of my generation, and I've got to say, my generation and Chip's generation, we're, we're like brothers of the same generation. And there are certain songs that just... Still, when I hear them, it takes me back there and it does something to me. Bridge over troubled water. I think there was probably not a need to write another song after that song was written. What a great, great song. They're just uh, living years. The Fields of Gold by Sting. I love that song. Along with all the worship songs. But I mean, there's certain songs that, that mark life for us. Music marks the times and the moments of our life. Can you imagine what it would be like to do church without music? Without singing? I mean, it's an expression. It's a release of joy. I was in, uh, in Israel last November. And we were in, uh, in Tiberias, the second night of our, our trip there, my first time there. And we're walking along out on the, the little boardwalk there by the Sea of Galilee about 9 o'clock at night. And we, ca- we came upon this group that we could hear long before we got there. I thought it was just, you know, sort of Muzak out over the, the loudspeakers. But it was a group of Jewish young people sitting on the sidewalk, singing with all their hearts on the night after Sabbath. And I asked one of the young men, I said, what's this all about? I mean, the joy on their faces was incredible. And in broken English, he said to me, we believe, this was his explanation, we believe that when Sabbath comes, we get a second soul just for the Sabbath. We believe we get a second soul to help us enjoy all the wonder and the beauty and and just the glory of the Sabbath. And when Sabbath is over, at sundown, that second soul departs. And so we sing our songs to remind us of who we are. And why we're here. And what our life is all about. I want to read something to you. There's an old story about a rabbi who lived in a Russian city a century ago. Disappointed by his lack of direction and and life purpose, he wandered out into the chilly evening with his hands thrust deep into his pockets and he aimlessly walked through the empty streets, questioning his faith in God, the scriptures that he'd always believed in, and his calling to ministry. The only thing colder than the Russian winter was the, the Russian winter air was the chill within his own soul. He was so enshrouded by his own despair that he mistakenly wandered into a Russian military compound that was off-limits to civilians. The silence of the evening chill was shattered by the bark of a Russian soldier. Who are you and what are you doing here? Excuse me, replied the rabbi. I said, who are you and what are you doing here? After a brief moment, the rabbi, in a gracious tone, so as not to provoke the soldier, said, how much do you get paid every day? What does that have to do with you, the soldier retorted. With some delight, as though he had just made a discovery, the rabbi said this, I will pay you the equal sum if you will ask me those same two questions every day. Who are you and what are you doing here? Maybe one of the reasons that uh, I get to be with you tonight is to remind you of who you are and what you're doing here. Why God chose to put you in this place at this time. 
and to encourage you to continue to sing your song. And let me identify what I mean by that. But to sing your song with all of your heart to this generation. The thing about David is that you can track his life by his songs, can't you? You can tell where he was, whether the song has the heading above it or not. You can basically tell what was happening in his life. Sometimes he was embattled or he was running for his life. He journaled and marked those seasons and you can tell as you read them how he was feeling and where he was. Sometimes he was confused, questioning God. How many of you have ever felt like that? How many of you have ever asked God a question like, what are you doing in my life? David was there. He said, where are you, God? Sometimes David was, was celebrating the victory. Rejoicing in God, worshiping, full of praise. And sometimes he was defeated and humiliated and brought to what he needed most. Deep, deep repentance because of his sin in Psalm 51. But David's songs drip with powerful human emotion. Of his anger at times and his love for God and his joy and his fears. And they're packed with with dignity and humanity and reality. That was a real man that lived a real life just like you and I. I read David's lyrics and I say, yes, I feel that way too sometimes. David, I know just exactly what you're talking about. I've been through that valley of the shadow of death. I know what it's like to be in that deep pit. You've been there too, maybe overwhelmed with gratitude, maybe overflowing with praise, maybe painfully confused, maybe impatient with God. But you hang on and doubts. You've asked those, why, God? When, God? How, God? And where in the world are you, God? And maybe you've been under the conviction. You've come to one of David's psalms and been comforted or informed or challenged or convicted or directed or maybe even at at this season redirected and refocused. Thank God that David and company recorded their songs for all of us to hear, to read, and to sing. Now, here's the big question. This is the big point tonight, okay? Mark this down. Write this question down somewhere. If you didn't bring any paper along with you, take a page of Leviticus, rip it out of your butt. No, I'm just kidding. But write it somewhere. Write this question down. Write this one down. Where did David get those songs? Those beautiful songs. Those touching, those profound songs. What was the source of his inspiration? Where did he go to get those? he go away to Mount Hermon on a songwriter's retreat or to the hills of Judah, meditating out by the beautiful Jordan River? Maybe some of them. Or some of the songs commissioned because we need certain songs there in the temple. That's pressure, by the way, writing with a commission, with a deadline. Some of them probably came that way. Maybe a beautiful day in the park. Maybe he was blown away like in in Psalm, is it Psalm 8 or Psalm 18? Where he says, Lord, when I look at the heavens, I feel so small. How many of you have ever felt that way? You're allowed to raise your hand in church tonight. How many of you have ever felt that way? By the way, you burn off two calories every time you raise your hand, so I'm just helping you out. (laughs) Have you ever looked looked at the the heavens and, and just thought, oh my. Maybe not in Orange County, maybe not in L.A. because you can't see it. But out here to, oh, Lord, I, I, it puts things in such perspective for you. It was uh, probably two years ago now, a little over two years ago, because my daughter was still in high school. And uh, she came to me one morning early. She was about to drive herself to school. This was Starlin. And she said, hey, Dad, do you want to meet me for devotions at Starbucks? 
And I thought, oh man, sure, we didn't do that all the time. But I said, you bet. I mean, several of my favorite things at that point, my daughter and coffee and devotions, they're at my, at my extension office at Starbucks. I could just meet her right there. She said, sure. So I'm getting myself together. She's getting herself together. She's out the door first. The door's open and I hear her from the curb say, Dad, come out here. you got to see this. So I, I ran outside and I looked up and it was the most beautiful sunrise I'd ever seen. How many of you are like me? You see more sunsets than you do sunrises. I don't see a whole lot of sunrises. I'm not up that early. But wow, this sunrise knocked me out. So I grabbed my Bible and I grabbed my camera. And on the way to Starbucks, I'm driving and shooting at the same time as I'm hanging it out the window. Just, I got to record this. By the time I got to Starbucks, I said, Starlin, I'm sorry, babe, but I've already done devotions. God's been speaking to my heart. And out of that came a song. Um, a song about you've painted the skies today. It's called A Beautiful Song. And by the way, it's on Shannon's CD, which is now in the bookstore. I knew I'd work that plug in some way, Shannon. <laughs> she did bring some more copies. But that came out of that time. That song was out of a time where I was overwhelmed with the handiwork of God in the heavens. You've had those times as well. There's lots of sources of inspiration. But many of the very, very best songs. Now, now, now listen carefully. Many, many of the very best songs, the ones we still sing, the ones that grip our heart, come out of seasons of pain and confusion for the songwriter. They come from the crucible, the furnace, the desert, the wilderness, times of questioning. Think about the, the, great, the great writers of generations that have passed. A man by the name of Joseph Criven engaged two times to a beautiful young woman and both times she passed away just before they got married. And so he sat down one day and he wrote a song that you still sing. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and our griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to him in prayer. It got Joseph Scriven through the toughest times in his life. And you get to sing about it. He went through the pain. You know the story about Horatio Spafford and how his family was lost at sea. And the story goes that when the ship he was on came to the coordinates where that ship had gone down with his family, he stopped. And whether it was at that moment or from that episode, he wrote that song that you and I still sing. It is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way or when sorrows like sea billows roll, it's still well with my soul. Other songs that have, have come down to us, I can only imagine by that fellow from Mercy Me at the death of his father as he longed for that moment to spend a little more time with his dad. He said, I can just imagine what it's going to be like in heaven. I remember the day that Jeremy Camp came into my office after probably two weeks after his wife, Melissa, had passed away. And he said, Bill, I've got a new song. I want you to hear it. I don't know if I was the first one to hear that song, but it was very, very close to the first to hear him sing, I still believe. And you know what? I've got a bootleg copy of it and I'll sell it to you for a certain amount of money. <laughs> but that song means so much to me. I remember a, another incredible songwriter. And I happened to be there for this one when the song was being written because she was writing it on our little piano at home. And it was a time when my daughter Shannon was going through the furnace. And I listened to the melody and it was pretty and I listened to her voice and it's incredible but when I heard the words that were coming out of her in her own furnace 
That's one of my favorite songs, Living Sacrifice, because I know what was behind it. The content of songs is very, very important, but when you know the context, it just totally changes the impact of the song. I watched a young lady cling to God in a furnace time in her life and become more of a believer than she was before. Now, where did this song come from? Psalm 40, the David pen. Well, he tells us. David, did, did he say, well, I need a new song about new songs. Somebody ought to write a new song about new songs. That's not where it came from. A getaway with the chief musician? That's not where it came from. Look at verse 2. It says, He has brought me up out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay. Can you write in the margin of your Bible there? And if you don't write in your Bible, then write this in the margin of the Bible of the person next to you, okay? (laughs) Miry clay. Muck. Know what I mean? Does it need any more definition? He's brought me up out of the horrible pit. Not just a pit, but he brought me up out of a horrible pit and out of the muck. How many of you, when I say muck, you think back to an episode in your life that was awfully mucky? Can you look back and remember a horrible pit? And maybe the the, the muck, a challenging season in your life. David said, I'll tell you where I got that song. It came out of the horrible pit. It came out of the miry clay. Now here's the absolutely amazing thing about these seasons and these songs, songs just like this one. Here's the incredible thing about what rises from them. David says this. Look at verse 3 there. And he's put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. And many will see it and fear And will trust in the Lord. What's the outcome of my horrible pit and my trying season and my crisis or personally my muck? Well, you see, if I let God establish my steps again, then here's the outcome. Many will see it and they'll fear God and they'll trust in him. So suddenly it's not about me anymore. But but, but here's the question. Here's the incredible thing. There isn't anything that God can't redeem. He'll redeem any pit, any muck in your life. But, but here's my question. How do you see a song? How do you see a song? You hear a song. You don't see a song. How do you see a song? I watched a friend of mine, Tom Lane, who came to, to lead worship among us at, at Refuge a while back. I watched him walk through an excruciating time in his life. And I'll never forget the day that... Uh, I hear this song through the walls of my office. I'm thinking, I know he's getting ready for worship tonight, Wednesday night, but I don't recognize that song. Oh, cool, he's going to teach us a new Tom Lane song. He's a great songwriter. And then that night, he shared the song. And oh, man. The song is called A New Song. Put a new song in my heart. Put a new song. I'm going to share it with you in just a minute. But I watched. I didn't just listen to Tom. I watched Tom walk out that new song in his life. Because God wasn't done with Tom Lane, and he's still not done with Tom Lane. I watched Jeremy Camp sing, I still believe, with his life. I watched Shannon Quintana sing, Living Sacrifice, with her life. When? Before everything was resolved? No, 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 no. In the middle of unresolved conflict. So you've been being watched. And there's probably been people among you that can't understand the level of peace and joy, and focus that you still have as a congregation here. 
And they're still going to be watching you. But before every little bit is resolved, you sing your song. You sing your new song. Before the birds start singing, while the buzzards are still circling, jot this one down, Psalm 88, read it later. In Psalm 88, 18 verses of unresolved conflict, and it never resolves. That's the one thing about Psalm 88 and a couple of others, that it doesn't come to the point where it says, oh, and then I understood. And then everything was okay. This songwriter is still writing from the pit, but he's still writing and he's still praying. See, if I had written Psalm 88, it would have been a much shorter one maybe. Goodbye, God. But for this guy, Heman, in Psalm 88, he pours out his complaint to God while the buzzards are still circling before the sun starts shining. Well, we need to wrap up so you can go to dinner. There's a new song at this season for Albuquerque, for Calvary Chapel of Albuquerque. You are being watched, and I want to tell you that the very best is yet to come. Look at verse 5. It says, Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you've done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Do you get what's written in that psalm? Oh, Lord, you're not done with us. Let me tell you something. The best is yet to come here. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that the very best is yet to come for Calvary Chapel of Albuquerque. There's a great psalm. Jot this one down. I've run out of time, but jot down 102, Psalm 102. The beginning of the psalm, the songwriter says, Oh, God, hear my groaning. And at the end of the song, God says, I'm going to hear your groaning. I'm going to restore my people. Do you know why? Because I hear the groaning of others. Do you get it? Because I hear the groaning of others. And I see the chains of others. That's why I'll restore this place and this people. Let me say this to you with absolute respect for your pastor. This church is not about the pastor. It really never has been. This church doesn't exist for the pastor. This church doesn't even exist for itself. This church exists because there are still those in Albuquerque who groan in their brokenness and their bondage and their addiction. This church exists because there are still those who struggle to be free. And they need to hear a congregation of people. They need to see a congregation like Calvary Chapel of Albuquerque sing their new song. There are still those here. There are still those here who strain against their chains. That's your assignment. There's a new season and a new song for you to sing in this new season. And I personally can't wait to see what God has next for this awesome congregation. I can't wait to see what the next leg of this race turns out to be like. Your story has been so compelling for so many of us for so long. The next leg is going to be awesome. I want to ask you if you would sing this new song with me. Are you up for that? Okay.
the sorrow into joy, the crying into laughter, the mourning into dancing at your throne. Take the old and make it new, an offering to you. general in speaking as a congregation tonight, but I know there's some in here personally, you've been in your own muck and your own horrible pit and you need to today, right now, this evening to allow Jesus Christ to lift you out of that. There's nothing he can't redeem if you'll let him, if you'll give it to him, if you'll do what Hosea said, take words with you and come to God, return to him and give him access to your heart. If that's you tonight, I want to ask you to, in just a moment when we start to sing again, if you're ready for God to do a new work in your heart, to come right up here to the front and say, I want this to be a new beginning in my life. I want to leave the past behind and walk with Jesus with everything that's in me. And Christian, maybe long-time Christian follower, disciple of Jesus, if you know you've got to shake some things out of your life and get right with God, and just you need a freshness, then you come to and let's stand together as a congregation and ask God to do a new thing in us, okay? So if you need freshness, newness, healing from your brokenness, come right now and let's sing. Put a new song in my heart. Put a new song in my heart. A new melody. A new melody to sing. sorrow into joy the crying into laughter the mourning into dancing at your throne take the old and make it new an offering to you put a new song in me oh a new song you that are up close to them, you you that are, are walking strong with Jesus, would you surround these that have stepped forward right now? Put your hand on their shoulder and let's pray for them. Let's ask God to do a fresh work. Father, in these that have boldly stepped forward and asked you, Lord, tonight to do a new thing, a fresh work in them, Father God, we pray you would lift them out of the horrible pit and that you would lift them from the muck and the miry clay and you would set their feet upon a rock and establish their ways, Father. Help them to make wise decisions now that draw them closer to you. And bless them, Father, as they serve you and they live for you. And God, continue to do a great, wonderful new work here at Calvary Albuquerque. May this season be one of tremendous victory and harvesting, Father. May those that are broken, those that are bound, and those that are still in their blindness be drawn to Jesus through this ministry as never before. Father, bring revival. Bring revival in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.